This is the Stoppage Time Podcast from WEGL 91.1, giving you the latest on all the big talking points from the Premier League and the Champions League. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Stoppage Time. I'm your host, Chris Basinger, and joining me in the studio today is Andy Hewling. Andy, how are you doing? Doing good, Chris. Glad to be back on the podcast talking some more soccer. Good to hear you. And Harrison Schooler. Harrison, how was your weekend? Uh, it was pretty well. Looking forward to a good week of some European action. And joining us over the phone this week, special guest Tanner Pasifium. Uh Tanner, how are you? How how have you been? I, I'm pretty good. You know, medical school is is no joke, but uh, I, I'm getting through it. Yeah, I definitely wouldn't have time to be dealing with that right now, uh, especially with all these great Premier League games that we got going on this past weekend and in the coming weeks. So let's start on off with Manchester City, future champions of the Premier League this season, uh, beating Tottenham Hotspur 3-0. Rodri had a penalty, and the other two goals scored by Ilkay Gundogan. Uh, Andy, it's City's title to lose at this point. Is anyone else not acknowledging that City are going to win the league? I mean, I think it's City's, like like you said, City's to lose. I think you know the way that they're playing right now and the the way that they're just continuing to win and beat the competition out there i think you know they're really i feel like the form is starting to hit what we saw in 2017 when they made that deep run of games to uh really just take control of the title and i think you know coming down the stretch there's still work to do but i think obviously right now city is proving that they can beat anyone and everyone on the field right now yeah, and Ilkay Gundogan has been a huge part of that change over the past few months. Uh, he has six goals uh, and one assist in his last five Premier League games. How has his style changed over the course of this season? I feel like, honestly, he's just taken on the role of almost like a striker in a way because, I mean, he's making runs now into the box, and he looks like, you know, Gabriel Jesus or Sergio Aguero out there, you know, making those forward runs and not sitting back like a normal central midfielder does. And he's just being aggressive with every uh, chance that he gets, and he's putting them away. And I think he's showing his quality uh, as a central mid. But he honestly is taking on kind of the presence of a striker as well, and I think that's really changed his game. Yeah, and also their opponents this week, Tottenham, uh, have really fallen off. Uh, in form recently. Uh, unfortunately, David's not here to talk about how his team has uh, been facing these challenges. But Harry Kane returned uh, to action this week, but he couldn't provide them with the goals that they needed. Um, Tanner, I want to ask you this question. When we saw Tottenham beat uh, Manchester City 2-0 earlier in the season, it was very similar to how they dealt with them the previous season. They were holding the low block. They were getting in. Uh, the counterattacks. How did Pep transition this team from losing to that kind of Mourinho park the bus style to now uh, just overwhelming them and scoring three goals? Well, I mean, it's kind of just been how City's been going ever since that game. Like, no matter what, uh, it doesn't seem like their opponents really matter. Uh, they're kind of just a buzzsaw at this point. And unfortunately for Tottenham, they were basically just styrofoam. They really had no resistance whatsoever um but Ilkay Gundogan has been a really really big part of that um he's been incredibly impressive and very good for our SPL teams um <laughs> I'm glad I captained him but um no there's they're just back to doing what City does uh, what they're doing with the fullbacks now too the, he, Pep's always kind of had those like 
fullbacks that basically play as a deep line midfielder play midfield playmaker. Um, but Jao Cancelo has been really good in that role and being very threatening, even if he's not getting a lot of results. And I, I, I can't imagine what this team's going to be like when, when, when De Bruyne is back. Like he's one of the three or four best players in the Premier League. And the, the fact that they're doing this without him is, is really impressive. Yeah, it is quite impressive how Pep's able to utilize that depth that City, of course, possess. Um, since David's not here, I'm going to turn to our resident Jose Mourinho expert uh, on this next question. Uh, it has been theorized in the media, of course, that Jose Mourinho is on the edge of losing his job. Um, but let's not talk about that. Let's talk about instead how his tactics have failed this team. Because we saw at the beginning of the season, Spurs trying to get into that top four. They were at the top of the league for two weeks. You don't get a trophy for doing that. But how has this team just fallen off in form since uh, going back to the, the first Liverpool loss of the season? This team is tactically inept going forward. And I saw a statistic that Jose Mourinho's time, uh, or his possession, has declined every year. And we're at the lowest point that it's at. And they're Harry Kane dependent. There are no attacking patterns. There are find Harry Kane, find Ndombele, expect them to create a chance somehow, some way. Find Son on a run, find Lucas Mora, Bergwijn, it doesn't matter. And it's predictable. And it's easily thwarted now by teams that have watched them enough this season to realize that they're dependent on one player. I don't see things getting much better for them, honestly. Yeah, and Tottenham, of course, are now in ninth place with a total of 36 points. Uh, They have only played 23 games, but City, dominating, top of the table, have won their last 15 or so games in a row, I believe. Um sitting at 53 points, a solid seven points ahead of Manchester United with a game in hand. Uh, moving on to the the most difficult game of the weekend to watch, personally, uh, Leicester 3, Liverpool 1. Uh, Tanner, mentality monsters no more, this Liverpool team is. Um, dealing with the injuries aside, uh what what do you think is the biggest problem that this team faces after going 1-0 up and then conceding one or two goals? Is it more so they're just not able to stay in the game afterwards? Is it the substitutions? What do you think it is? I, I'm going to be honest. This is like the one game this weekend that I didn't watch. I, like I saw some, well, I guess low lights um, with Allison making the mistake. But I, I think it, it. you mentioned the mentality, and that's something that's kind of set Liverpool apart. Um the last couple of years. And I'm not saying that they've completely lost it. Klopp is still there. Um, obviously he's going through an incredibly tough time personally, which I, I can't even imagine being at the forefront of your job like this and then, and then losing someone that close to you. Um, but I, I think they've just kind of lost that mentality a little bit. Uh, and that's really the only thing you can say aside from the injuries. Um, and I mean, they aren't really creating as much. And when they are creating, they're not finishing. It's always, Salah's come back down to like world class level instead of being in the stratosphere like he was last year. Um, and it doesn't seem like Mane is doing enough. Like they just, they simply aren't doing enough right now to get the results that they think they need. But I mean, Klopp even kind of moved the goalposts and, and conceded a bit to, to City. And I mean, I think everyone can see that City is probably going to run away with it. And so they're saying, no, we're aiming for top four, um, which is, 
not a bad goal. I would rather be in that situation than uh, than Everton. Um, but yeah, I, I think maybe the mentality slipped a little bit. They just they just aren't the same right now, and a lot of that does probably come down to um, losing a certain Dutch center back. Yeah, I do think that Liverpool fans got their hopes up. Uh, after his loss in the last Merseyside Derby. And, of course, we'll talk about the upcoming Merseyside Derby later on in the podcast. But it was that month of games, that stretch of games afterwards, uh, where you saw players like Joel Matip, Joe Gomez, Fabinho, even Reese Williams coming in uh, and playing center back and Liverpool continuing to get positive results that sparked the belief that perhaps this team could go on to challenge the title, challenge for the title even with their without their star center back. But... Uh, it seems that uh, it, it's been enough injuries to really take them out of that uh, out of that sphere. And uh, like you said, Klopp has conceded the title race. I'm not really sure how much it actually means. You would be a fool if you looked at the table right now and thought that City weren't going to run away with it as is. We've just seen over the past few seasons that they're completely capable of doing something like that. But something that I want to point out is that if you look at the XG chart over the course of the match, Liverpool were ahead dominating for the entirety of the match until you get to the 70th minute when um, when Leicester starts scoring. It was, of course, that James Madison free kick that had the controversial, to say the least, uh, offsides decision where the, the VAR referee decides to draw the line off the end of the shadow of Firmino's foot, which we can argue about VAR all day, but Liverpool really should have done better in this game. Um and then Leicester get three successive uh, uh, goals in a row, and it's very similar to uh, the City game that we saw last week, the Liverpool City game, which ended four to one. Uh, Andy, do you think that uh, the this team, the players that are on the pitch for this team right now, do you think that they're just mentally drained after having to do this for three seasons? I mean, yeah, for a certain extent, I think you know when you're being coached at a level like Klopp is like Pep is like any coach really that demands a lot from you yeah sure you're tired I mean you know Klopp is expecting a lot of running from his players a lot of you know going forward but also tracking back on defense so sure I'm sure they're tired and and really the season has been long and draining and there's injuries and yeah I mean I think Liverpool is tired but I I kind of for this game it just seemed like a little bit of a lapse in focus. I thought, you know, they had it. They could have easily won that game 1-0. But just the way that it just all unfolded, just it shows me that maybe Liverpool is lacking uh, defensively, even with a new center back who made a mistake, uh, Kabak. I mean, just stuff like that. It's it's. I just think it's the little things that they're s- somewhat failing in uh, when it comes to games like this. And, of course, we also have to give credit to Leicester City, who uh, are level on points with Manchester United right now with 46. They're also playing uh, in the FA Cup against Manchester United. They are in the Europa League against Slavia Praha, the team who was famous for being in the so-called group of death with Barcelona, Dortmund, and Inter Milan. Uh, Harrison, I want to get your take on this. With all the competitions that Leicester are now facing, do you think they— have rightfully earned uh, top four contention? I think that they're going to focus heavily on the top four contention because Brendan has found a lot of consistency recently. And I just want to take a second to 
you know, Liverpool fa- failures aside, we've covered them all. Harvey Barnes had himself his his moment because all season long we've heard about uh, Wesley Fofana, we've heard about Jamie Vardy, we've heard about James Madison, we've even heard about Yuri Tielemans, but somehow, some way, we don't talk enough about Harvey Barnes. He's extremely direct. He completed the most take-ons in the game against Liverpool. He was the most fouled player against Liverpool, and of course, he had that great that great finish for the third goal. I think he is somebody that Garrett Southgate will be looking at pretty closely. Um, I think he's got a great shot at finding himself on a wing somewhere at some point. He could he could find himself in this Euros team here in the upcoming summer. But I love what I'm seeing from Leicester City. They've gathered a lot of momentum. They're getting some really crucial results at good times. And I think they're a team to absolutely watch to, to maintain this top four contention. Moving on, Arsenal took on Leeds this weekend, beating them 4-2. to two. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, Aubameyang coming back into this team getting a hat-trick, Martin Odegaard, his first start in the Premier League. Um, Harrison, this Arsenal team's been up and down this season, but they had a pretty good performance, wouldn't you say? Yeah, you know, it's about a week ago. I was sat in a room not too far from here telling everyone to just breathe, you know, relax, have some time, and look at where we are. They just won 4-2. Yes, two goals they conceded, probably just garbage-time goals. They looked like they were a little bit checked out, and, you know, they were up 4-0 at the time, so who can blame them? But that's just a sign of the growing pains that this team is going to have to go through. But you saw what a very well-prepared Arsenal was capable of. Le- Leeds couldn't even play from out of the back that well. They were being held. They were being pinned back by an Arsenal team that we're not. We haven't seen them pin teams back very much this season. And they found a lot of success with the open spaces that Leeds leave. Yes, I know, but they were crucial. They were clinical in attack. And they were very well organized. And that's exactly what Arteta is going for in a lot of his teams is the organization. Yeah, Leeds also struggles uh, with keeping consistent form. They lose to Arsenal just a few weeks back. They beat Leicester. They lost to Everton last week. Um, Tanner, do you think this is just because of how Bielsa sets up his team? Or do you think it's a deeper issue within uh, uh, who he put, within the players who he puts on the pitch? Uh, no, I, I think it's just kind of how a Bielsa team is going to work. They're like that's the commentators mention it basically every single Leeds game. Like he doesn't have a plan B. Their plan B is to just do plan A better. Um, and it's pressing from the it's pressing high. It's building from the back. It's doing everything you can to to just outwork the other team. Um, and sometimes you run into a team like Arsenal who's you know prepared for that and can essentially beat you at your own game. And when you make really, really dumb mistakes, uh, like Ilion Melier did, their goalkeeper, tried to play out from the back, as he's being told to do, and just takes one heavy touch. Saka gets in between him and the ball, and then he just takes Saka out. Um, that led to, to one of their goals. I mean, it's, it's just... It, there's Basically, this entire team was in the championship last year. Um, their starting 11, I'm pretty sure nine of their starting 11, when when all healthy, uh, were in their starting 11 in the championship last year. And the fact that they are doing as well as they are is is a testament to, to the coach that Bielsa is. Um, but these games are going to happen, uh, especially when you come against a team that has Obama Yang up top and then Emil Smith-Rowe, Saka, and Odegaard behind him are just... That's that's a lot of attacking talent. 
Um, and sometimes you're just going to get done the way that they did. Moving on, Manchester United took on West Bromwich Albion, and the final score of that game, 1-1. West Brom scored first, but United came back with a wonder strike from Bruno Fernandes inside the box, uh, assisted by the most informed left back in the league, according to Harrison at the moment, Luke Shaw. Um, but, Andy, Harry Maguire said, you're not going to come here and create 10 chances against West Brom, but if you look at it, all the teams who came to West Brom in the past three months have created more than 10 chances. What's United's problem playing against these types of teams? You know, I think I think the biggest thing is that a lot of teams, I mean, I guess you, you I think some credit has to be given to West Brom a little bit. I mean, you know, when you go and play a team, if you're like a Manchester United or City or Liverpool, especially a team like that, they're going to play tough because they know that their survival is on the line. I mean, I think, you know, a lot of people are chalk up a game like that as a win. But with these teams, they're playing for more than just getting a win. They're playing for their survival. And I know what West Brom really doesn't have a chance, per se, at least statistically, but, like, there's still hope. And I think they're going to play as hard as they can every time and I, I think with a game like that they're just gonna sit back they're gonna suck up the pressure and I thought they did a good job of you know just containing the pressure that United put on them throughout that game so I, I just you know I think with United they have so much talent but just sometimes they're not able to find that final pass that final touch uh, that Martial or Rashford or F Fernandez is looking for and it, you know like like Harry Maguire said, you just can't create that few chances and win a game. Yeah, this team has a certain Portuguese dependency at the moment. I'm pretty sure we can all eye that out over the last 12 months. And when he's not firing, I mean, he, he wasn't firing. He grabbed a goal and it was a nice goal, but he is he's a player of moments and he can do that. He can produce those individual moments of brilliance, but... No, it was tough to watch. Harry Maguire was doing his absolute best to progress the ball forward. There are moments where this team just doesn't show a sense of urgency, and you can get that at the start of games. They've conceded seven times in the first 15 minutes. That's second to Crystal Palace. And it's just like that. They need a punch in the jaw to wake up, and they've got to get over that. They've got to come into games better prepared, more focused, and really go from the front foot right from the start, and, and they just haven't done that. And against these teams where they're, they're just lacking motivation against some of the, the lower table teams. And you saw that clear as day against Sheffield and now against West Brom. And I have to ask you, Oli said last week that uh, United aren't a team that are going after uh, title uh, dreams right now. But Harry Maguire answered a question after the match saying that this loss would put a damper on those dreams. So, uh is it a title race or is it not a title race? There's no title race. No title race. All right, moving on to the next game. Everton nil, Fulham 2. Uh, Maja scores two in his first game for Fulham, his debut in the Premier League. Uh, Tanner, we saw earlier in the season when Richarlison was out of this Everton team. Everton lost three games in a row. Now Calvert-Lewin is out injured. Um, do you think we're seeing a similar Similar situation here with the loss of such a key player? Uh, not necessarily. Um, like missing Dom, obviously, is, is huge. Uh, he's our focal point up front. He's who we try and run everything 
not necessarily through, but he's the one you want on the end of end of the ball. And I mean, he scored 13 goals this season, all from open play. Uh, so it's, it's a pretty good person to look for. Um, but no, that game was just like abhorrent and disgusting to watch. Um, like we had the opportunity to go level with with Liverpool and have two games in hand, like just ahead of the derby, and we couldn't take like the easiest opportunity. Um, which unfortunately is a bit of a pattern um, with Everton, not even just under Carlo, but kind of in general. We'll string together games where like we play really good football, we get some incredible results, then we have an opportunity to take the step towards whatever our goal is at the time. And it's typically against an opponent we need to beat and should beat. And then we play down to our competition, or as is the case here, even lower than our competition. Uh, and we blow the opportunity. I can remember three of those opportunities off the top of my head just in the last, like, two months. Uh, we lost to West Ham on New Year's Day uh, when we had the opportunity to, I think, go, like, third or fourth. Uh, we lost to Newcastle at the end of January at home, didn't score a goal. And, of course, we lost to Fulham this weekend. Uh, it's just kind of a, a too familiar pattern um, when it comes to being an Evertonian. And it's kind of why, with hope, can't always fully embrace it. Um, all, all credit to Fulham too. They uh, they they just beat us. They, there's nothing that can be said about that. We did not lose this game. It's not like they they just like snagged two goals at the end and we were peppering their goal and they just happened to save all of them. They beat us two point four to zero point four in expected goals. Um, and like that's 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 bad. We got outplayed. But in addition to just being outplayed the way that we set up was a little confusing. Um, like our center back pairing and our fullbacks, we kind of indicate we'd want to press high. Uh, but then two of our forwards are James Rodriguez and Gilfie Sigurdsson, who, while they have all of the quality in the world, are, are not exactly fast. Um, and that's, that's being nice about it. I, I felt like we could have started Josh King for Gilfie, and I would have allowed us to play in a, a better shape, a 4-4-2 diamond that we, we've played before. Uh, and also have that focal point that we we missed because we didn't have Dom. Just um, to but, piggyback off what you said about Fulham and their performance, I was really impressed with the way they came out of the gates. That was a team that knew that they were facing a top-quality opposition, and they had a plan, and they had energy, and they had a really good feel for the game. Harrison Reed was absolutely excellent. I thought um, Lookman was great. Maja looked Really lively, you know, poachers' goals, but that's exactly what they need at this time. It's been really difficult, and I think that Scott Parker just had this team way more amped up than Everton was. Everton looked sleepy at times, and it just it, they t- they were taken advantage of in those moments. I mean, Loftus Cheek was not even at his best. He wasn't even nearly close to the most threatening player for Fulham. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's that's not only did we look tired. We looked like we didn't care. And, I mean, look, we, we played 120 minutes a few days before, but that's, that's not an excuse. Um, you have to at least try, which none of the players – I don't think you can say that there's a single Everton player that actually put in a shift, let alone played well. They were expecting to waltz through the game and beat Fulham, and Fulham came in and just – took it to us. And Scott Parker is a great manager. He's, he's doing the best with what he can. I love the way that he plays um, as opposed to someone like, you know, Big Sam or, or Sean Dyche. He's actually an entertaining brand of football 
whether you win or lose. Uh, but I don't think the players are, are only to blame. Carlos, Carlos is great. I love Carlo Ancelotti. He has been great for us. He's got a huge project in front of him, and I'm glad that he's here. But it, it, it's pretty safe to say that he got this game wrong. Um, and that like him or, or Davide, his, his son and assistant manager, or Big Dunk, or somebody didn't notice that something was going wrong, and he didn't adjust quickly enough. And then when he did adjust, it was reactionary. It was after they had scored their goal. And in my opinion, it was just wrong. You, you, you bring on Josh King and Michael Keane, which, fine, those are, those are good substitutions. You bring on a, a quick forward winger, um, and you bring on your steadiest center back from this year. But then you replace Seamus Coleman, the club captain, one of the only people who actually had any fire, and one of our very few on-pitch leaders. You take him off, and then you push Mason Holgate, who has been not great in the game at center back to right back, which he can play, but he's not, he's naturally a center back. Um, and then you, it's just, it's not, it just didn't seem like the right thing to do. And you also take off Tom Davies for Josh King. Like Tom Davies is, didn't have the greatest game. He's been playing better since Allen's been out. He didn't have the greatest game, but he is, quicker he's more progressive as far as being a holding midfielder goes he'll actually make some runs he'll make some passes uh the uh against united he played a beautiful through ball to set up one of the goals and that he has that ability and you replace him with josh king which is great on paper but then it shifts guilty sigurdsson back to a deep lying midfield role that he's been terrible throughout the year there when he's playing as a, as a number 10 and attacking midfielder he's great he can put a performances like he did against Tottenham and have a goal and three assists. But it, it was just, some of the decisions were really kind of head-scratching. Um, so it was just, it, it, was, it was a bad performance. And, like, we deserve to lose. And good job with Tottenham or Fulham for seizing that opportunity. Yeah, it was definitely a frustrating game to watch. Um, and Everton are going to be facing Manchester City and Liverpool in the coming week. So it will be a difficult schedule for them coming up. Uh, and then also to but, yes, but as as negative as I am about the Fulham game, that pattern that I mentioned that that Everton gets into, it's typically followed this performance of just playing down to your opponent being terrible. You think that the game against very- Fulham is just going to be a little dip in between the those, uh, the uh, the United game and the City game and the Liverpool game. You think there will be a bounce? No. There, there will be a bounce back. I don't think we're going to win. I, there, there will be a better game against City. City is, again, like I mentioned earlier, a buzzsaw. They will, they will beat us. I, I think that's, that's going to happen. But I think it'll be a closer game than people expect. Carlo's going to set up deeper. We're going to look to counter, which obviously against City is hard, e- easier said than done because of that counter press that they have that is just relentless. Um, but that's how we're going to set up, and I think that's how we're we're more comfortable setting up. So I, I think it'll be a good game to watch. I wouldn't be surprised if it's like three to two or or three to one, even uh, with City adding a goal right as the game's about to end. To end. But the Derby, anything can happen. Uh, it's at Anfield, which you know we haven't won there since 1999. Um, but I could see us taking a point off of off of Liverpool, especially given Allison's. Pickford-esque blunders, you know. Ha, um, ha. Maybe we could, maybe, maybe we could get more. 
Okay, Carius esque. Is that better? Oh, oh, um, that's worse. Honestly, oh, that that hurts. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, ultimately, Car- Carlo is going to get us back on track. Um, and even if we may not make it to Europe this year, that was never the goal. Uh, it's about changing the culture, and I think that that Carlo's doing that. It'll definitely be a game to watch, especially uh, with the controversy that occurred during the first meeting of the season. So keep your eyes glued to the screens during that match. Uh, and then also, what controversy? yeah, <laughs> what controversy? Um, and to round off our weekend, uh, Burnley beat Crystal Palace three nil in a dominating performance. Uh, Brighton Villa finished nil nil in an underwhelming performance. Uh, Wolves beat Southampton two to one with some controversial penalty calls. Uh, and non-calls. And an absolutely brilliant goal from Pedro Neto. Absolutely brilliant. Dead on. West Ham uh, beat Sheffield United 3-0 convincingly. And then finally, Tuchel's fifth win in a row, Chelsea 2, Newcastle 0. Olivier Giroud gets subbed in for an injured Tammy Abraham, scores. Timo Werner, bit of a poacher's goal, but he scores anyway. Harrison, what's your take on that match? That was a very lively performance. I mean, it's not hard to look lively against Newcastle, I'll be honest. You can pull them all over the field, but it was good. It was a really solid performance from just about everybody. If I had to pick somebody out, though, it would be Mateo Kovacic. He was absolutely excellent on the ball. And I know there is a lot of criticism over when him and Jorginho play together in the midfield, but I I absolutely there's such value in what they have in the Premier League. Their ball retention skills are excellent. He was 95% completed on his passes tonight, and he just do- he just doesn't misplace passes, and he doesn't turn it over in critical positions or bat or big moments, and he he just finds the open man, and whether it's a safe pass, you know, he'll have to play it, but he'll also he'll play the penetrating pass as well, and yeah, Werner was lively. He was finding his spaces on the left side, and he was crossing the ball in, and he was going and being direct, and. He created some good chances. He was a really he was a part of the build up to Drew's first goal, and he was even a part of the build up to his own goal. And I just think that they're coming along at a at a really good time because things are going to heat up for Chelsea very shortly. Andy, do you think the German has cracked Chelsea's Enigma code? Uh, it seemed like Frank Lampard just couldn't get this team uh, to function together, but Thomas Tuchel's come in and he's made it work. Well, I mean, yeah, I think he has for sure. I think, you know, he brings a style that's obviously has a lot of experience at some of the biggest clubs in Europe. And I just think he has experience. And I think that's really what Chelsea needed. I'm not nothing against Frank Lampard. I just think it wasn't it wasn't his place yet. I'm not saying that Frank can't be a good coach at a big club one day, but I just think Frank needs to spend a few years at a smaller club to get that experience that he can eventually bring into a bigger club like a Chelsea somewhere else. And I think, um, you know, Tuchel is going to start turning this team around and he's going to use the talent that they have. I mean, $300 million was, you know, something that we really kidded about when Lampard was there because, you know, that's a lot of money to have underwhelming talent, but I think Tuchel's going to utilize that really well at his time at Chelsea. I can't, I can't explain just how bad Newcastle were. I, I really, I really need to. We need to keep that into context here because they have faced some weak, uh, weak opposition in Tuchel's time with Chelsea. But Newcastle are abysmal. They should be in the relegation I mean, fight, and they're not. And and yeah, they're just not good. 
I mean, without Callum Wilson, they're just they're they're toothless. They're yeah, they're um, fighting for scraps without Wilson, and they were already fighting for scraps with him. It's just much worse now. Yeah, Newcastle are in seventeenth place. Fulham rising out of the relegation zone. Newcastle perhaps in the next coming weeks dropping into the relegation zone. Burnley and Brighton are right on the cusp of that too. Uh, but moving on to bigger and brighter games, Champions League returns this week. Oh, baby, it's here. Uh, the first game that we are going to discuss is probably going to be the closest game of the game week. Uh, hardest to predict, Red Bull, Leipzig, Liverpool having to be played in Hungary due to COVID restrictions in Germany. Um, Leipzig edged out Man United to advance into the Champions League. Currently second in the Bundesliga, 44 points. Liverpool, we all know their situation. Guys, what are we thinking for this game? I think it's going to be a great battle of tactics. I honestly can't see it being very high scoring simply because Leipzig don't leave themselves open enough for Liverpool to find those spaces that those wide forwards are going to need. And I just don't see Liverpool. I, I know they've conceded sloppily recently, but... This has been Leipzig's story of the season is replacing those goals that they lost with Werner, and whether it's Paulson or whoever it may be, they just haven't been able to get them in that same quantity that he was bagging them in for them the last few seasons. Yeah, I think uh, Liverpool, they've definitely given up on the Premier League, but I know they're not going to give up on the Champions League as easy. And I know Klopp continues to stress it like every team in the Champions League does because it's such a huge competition. And I don't think Liverpool is going to go down very easily. Uh, I think, like Harrison said, I mean, Leipzig, they're a good team. They they won't allow a lot. But I, I really think that it's going to be kind of a tough game. I, I think, you know, this could be a sluggish 0-0, maybe one niller, uh, maybe 1-1, one, one, something like that. I don't think we're going to see a lot of goals I just think Liverpool's offense is it's not where it needs to be, especially coming into a game like this. But, I mean, RB Leipzig maybe is not as open after transferring guys like Timo Werner uh, away, and they don't have the guys that they need you know, to, to get a lot of goals, but they still do have talent. So I think we're going to see a really sluggish game, but looking forward to it because I think it's still going to be very exciting. Yeah, even Wigan Athletic won the FA Cup when they were relegated, so we'll see what Liverpool can do in this cup competition. Uh, the other probably biggest game of the game week, Barcelona, PSG. PSG have Neymar out. He's injured right now. He's going to be able to go to his sister's wedding or his sister's birthday. Um, Barcelona have just been struggling all around, losing to Sevilla in the first leg of the Copa del Rey. Uh, which team is in the worst position coming into this game? Barcelona. I would say PSG. I, I think right I, now I, PSG I, is absolutely in the worst position because they actually have expectations to win this season. And they've been crippled now without their superstar Neymar. And Barcelona, you're just you're just doing what you can. I mean, Koeman went as far as to say uh, that the Copa del Rey was their best shot at a trophy. So that tells you where they're at this at this moment with their mindset. So they may come into this match fearless at the, and, and play a very good game. But who knows? I think right now, though, it, it looks worse for PSG. This is a must-win. This is They need to get this result. They need to get to the next round to make sure that Neymar's healthy and can be ready to roll for that. And 
Messi is finding his form. I mean, he was absolutely brilliant this weekend, and that goal, leaving the keeper standing, it was just, it was, it was brilliant. And I, I, I'm thinking we're gonna we're gonna see several goals in the first leg and several goals in the second leg, and we'll 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 find ourselves in a very good two legged affair. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I mean that that makes sense. I just think that Barcelona is, is they're going through it, um, and I think it's mainly because of, of Ronald Koeman, who I have very much uh, a lot of like vitriol for. I do not do not like the man, uh, not just because of what he said about Everton, but because of you know how he managed Everton and managed to fail upwards. Um, but I think PSG is going to be going to be fine. Obviously, losing Neymar is insane. Uh, it, they're hard to recover, but they also still have Kylian Mbappe and and Everton Loney Moisey Keane has been incredible uh, for PSG, which I, I'm happy for him. He's he he just could not get on with us, and I'm I'm glad that he's excelling at a club as incredible as PSG. I, I just think if Barcelona don't make something happen with, with the Champions League, they're going to get into even more trouble with Messi. Um, and if, if they lose Messi, which they could, um, we know that Pep's knocking on his door. Um, they're, do they even compete for the Champions League spot in, in La Liga? Like, yeah, they'll probably be able to scrape third or fourth, even with, without Messi. But they're not going to be the Barcelona that we've known for the last, and to 15 years. I just think it's a big turning point for them. Yeah, honestly, I think Messi's the difference in this game. I mean, you know, you look at guys like Neymar, who's such a crucial part of what PSG do, and I, I know they have Mbappe, and he's just as deadly, and they've got a great team around them. But I, I just think when Messi is on fire and just in his game, he's unstoppable. And I think... That's just the guy that they have to lean on. They have to lean on him in this Champions League. I mean, it would be it would be an absolute miracle if Barcelona wins this Champions League. I don't think anyone would expect them to. But if they do, for some reason, just out of nowhere win this whole thing, it's going to be Lionel Messi because he's the one. I mean, this is more than likely his final campaign for Barcelona. So I know he'll want to play his best. But it's just going to be, will the rest of his team uh, help him get to another Champions League? Yeah, and there are two more games in the Champions League this week. Zavia play Dortmund. Uh, Dortmund have been struggling, only one win in their last five games. And Sevilla, like we mentioned, just beat Barcelona 2-0 in the first leg of their Copa del Rey semifinal. And then also Porto versus Juventus. Juventus have had a drop in form. They are currently fourth, eight points behind new leaders Inter Milan, and Porto are ten points behind first place Sporting. Uh, Sporting, of course, in first place without Bruno Fernandez. Um, but finally, everyone's favorite part of the show: the predictions. Uh, Andy Harrison and myself are tied for first place right now, only collecting three points from the previous week, and David only got a measly one point for Manchester United straw. So, Andy, we'll start with you. What are your predictions for this week? I'm going to take Brighton over Crystal Palace, and then I'm going to take Leicester City over Aston Villa. And Harrison, what about you? I'll be taking Manchester United. 
to respond and beat Newcastle, and I am also with Andy taking Brighton to beat Crystal Palace. And Tanner, would you like to guest pick for David this week? I will, and I'm going to make a pick that's going to make him mad. West Ham over Tottenham. Okay. <laughs> and then and then and then Leeds over Wolves. Leeds over Wolves, brilliant. And my choices will be Fulham over Sheffield and Burnley over West Brom because these are the only two games where I would want to actually pick Fulham and Burnley. But that'll do it for us, folks. Thanks for listening to another episode, and we will catch you next week. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Stoppage Time. You can follow us on Instagram at stoppagetime91.1 for news, updates, and more. Be sure to tune in next week for another great episode on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts.